Kristen, you do the, the drum part. All right, all right, all right. And three, two, one. Welcome, podcasters, to another exciting episode of Empathic Futures Labs. Today in the studio, a.k.a. the lobby of this gallery, uh, we have, we're doing the, not necessarily the first, but uh, the first formal uh, interview series uh, with Alex Barr. And today on the show, it's uh, Coulter and myself. Chris is unfortunately unavailable, but the conversation delves deep into value and power and all sorts of fun stuff along the way. So be sure to listen up if you guys care to introduce yourselves at all. Hello, I'm Coulter. I'm in Chicago this weekend. Alex? Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have you gone to a Lambo recently? I did one like maybe two months ago. That was weird. It was like a Swedish. It's like, well, it was, it was, it was, it was, like, a, it was a guitar, um, a guitarist. Okay. And so he mixed like um, synthesized sounds with like traditional string. That's just kind of interesting. How did, like, how'd they sit you down? Did you sit in chairs or on the floor? It was very traditional. So I feel like he was just trying to, yeah, just trying to start it. It was kind of like this, actually. Yeah. It was a lot like it. I was very sad. I was all lined up to see, I think, Joe Patera or something. It was, like, the last show. And he had, mm. like, a seven-channel synth system. And he was, like, going to be patching yeah. his synth all over the place. And, like, yeah. you're laying on the floor. Yeah. Did you ask me if I was going to go with that? I think I did. Okay. I had to go to Boston. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I find that like organized sound, like it just has like a concept really interesting, you know? You mean like more channels? and Yeah. Like the idea that there's a sort of known system in place, but there's also something that's completely random and chaotic. That's just mm-hmm. noise that you can also organize that. It's right. kind of interesting. It's like a whole scene. I don't have the discipline to like actually get involved in that kind of music production, but right. I'm always like, what do you guys learn? <laughs> like I was just seeing an exhibit on the Bauhaus mm-hmm. in Harvard and I'm like, okay, but what did you guys learn? Like you're trying to make like a universal system to understand like visual mm. shapes, colors and things like that. Like what are the sound people going to find out if anything? Yeah. Like what, what do you get out of it? What's the takeaway? Yeah. Well, you could you could synthesize stuff with um, caterpillar tractors and things. Hmm. Oh, right. So we, uh, Christian and I went to there's like a lo-fi, they call it immersion fest mm. at UIUC, and they actually had someone build a Bucky dome out of like scaffolding equipment inside a gym, and okay. they put like lights and sensors and speakers in like all the joints. Uh-huh. You go in the center and you're like waving your hand over these light sensors and yeah. just sort of. And it, and it, and it, you know, it manipulates the ambient sound and light, and it's kind of cool. Yeah. And where, you, based on where you put your hands relative to the sensors, yeah, huh. it's fun. There's another guy who grew up near Peoria, and he okay. somehow he decided that caterpillar was his muse. It was like the most important thing in his life because yeah. he lived in Peoria. I mean the company? Yeah. Mm. He would contact Mike, like different machines and he'd start banging on them and like record it. He, had, <laughs> he wore like a, I think it was Fermi. He had hard hat. Yeah, he had a hard hat that he would, that he had while he was just sitting there talking to us. Yeah. It was kind of fun. And then he would have input into like his visual synthesizer and it would always be Killdozer, which was like a late seventies <laughs> or like directed VHS yeah. horror film. That's the one with the spikes coming out of the guy's head? I don't think it's so good. No, 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 no. it's a bulldozer. Yeah. It's an actual <laughs> bulldozer. Oh, it's running around bulldozer. killing people. Oh, killdozer. <laughs> yes. I just caught that. <laughs> I think, like, when we, Christian and I and Andreas were there, so we were yeah. talking to him, and I wasn't doing much talking, but I was listening. Yeah. And I feel like I maybe I valorize these people a little bit too much, where I'm like, what, what new horizons are you identifying or, like, are you a frontiersman? And, and, like, and his whole yeah, his whole thing was great because he's like, my entire life is this, you know, twelve by, you know, eighteen by twenty four box in front of you. Everything that I own is right here. Yeah. This is me. Yeah. He's like, this is the only thing I have. This is the only thing that makes me happy. <laughs> and so suddenly I'm like, oh okay, like, I've been totally kind of projecting these sort of like creative ambitions onto you. Uh-huh. But I guess like that's why you have immersion fest. You know, these people are like kindred spirits. Yeah, the same sort of outlook. Mm. They also have these wonderful like dioramas. I don't know what else to call them, but it'd be like this person made like an entire '70s lounge universe in like the corner of the gym. Uh Like a big shag rug and plants, just piles of plants, Uh and then a custom massive synthesizer that was shaped like a giant polygon. And they were like, 
it was all set up and it had four pillows and like someone could just sit down and start playing. It was like eight tube TVs yeah. set up there that were like recording you and synthesizing the visual input from the space into yeah. like Disney movies. Yeah, yeah, it was like splicing. <laughs> it was a security system they hacked to like, huh. it was like observing yourself at a child's slumber party was the idea. I guess it like nostalgia was part of it. Mm-hmm. So you're like thinking of the movie and then thinking of yourself in that space and seeing yourself too. So lots of cool things. So the idea is that you want to be immersed in something that's like new and different. I think they want you to want to be immersed. Yeah, but it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, The actual experience doesn't matter. It's the want to do it. Yeah, yeah I mean, that was huh. the whole, I think that was really part of the big point of it is because there is a, an array or a gamut of different ways that you could you could be immersed. I think that the term different itself inputs. is overloaded. Like yeah. It's stretched past its point of usefulness. You have like immersive televisions or immersive art. <clears throat> I'm actually going to go to this new gallery museum it's like an instagram museum called wndr i think okay it's like a little bit north of here but it's only run for two years and it apparently has like a bunch of interactive oh, the wonder museum there we go yeah that, that's the acronym wndr yeah, yeah. yeah. oh man this looks yeah, special you, you have you been have you heard of it <laughs> i've heard of, I've no, seen there's things the, like this uh, popping up all over the place yeah now. they call them instagram museums and people either hate it because it's not art or they love it because it's actually sort of populist art Mm. It's interactive. You can see yourself in it, and it's giving you something new. It's not mm. asking you to be like aware of art history. It's just like interacting with you. I feel that's a good it's bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. There was an artist. It was interesting where it was all blurred, and the idea was you had to look at it through your phone in order to <laughs> see the message because it would auto, it would like auto unblur it. <laughs> But like the human eye can't see it. Holy shit, it's so cool. But it's only through the phone can you see it. It's just kind of interesting. There was a, there was a piece for this uh, five by five exhibit that um, a group of people kind of shopped around the country, East mm. Coast. Um, and what it was is it was this mirrored box, yeah. and there was a couple openings that you could look through with your eye. But yeah. really, it only worked if you put your cam your iPhone up to it yeah. and took a picture through there. Mm. And so like the whole piece was just about putting your camera on something and getting a cool picture. Yeah. It. And it was like the super studio stuff with the mirrors, these mirrored dioramas. Mm. So they had this tiny box, maybe it was like half a meter squared. Yeah. And they had different points where you put the phone and the flash was like the only input for light. Mm-hmm. And so you got sort of kaleidoscopic images. Yeah. Different arrangements out of it. I think that's like a, whole, like a good sign. I mean, yeah, it's like I do it for the gram and that's fine, but at least people are interested in being wondered or confused, right? I think, that, I think it's a good sign that there's like a general public want and need to have these things, even right. though they might be shallow. Yeah. Doing it for the gram would be a good podcast theme. Christian mm-hmm. and I confronted um, interaction with art. Mm-hmm. Um, we made an art installation, the digital, oh, yeah, which we've yeah, talked yeah. about before. Yeah. Where you would, you had this like floating cube and these projections and we had like this weird blobby device where you can like tune the mm. projections. Yeah, I remember that. And we found that people were not comfortable actually touching it unless they were like 13 years old. So, right. or, or, or younger. Yeah. Well, we, what we ended up, I guess, we put on, art in a non-art pit space. That, mm. that hurts it. But there's a way of like, you need to bracket art. You need to create boundaries between not art and art spaces and i think the reason why you have instagram museums like the wonder museum is like you enter it and it has it has fun house rules instead of regular rules mm-hmm. and maybe like bringing your phone with you and doing it for the gram gives you an amount of comfort in actually engaging with with art mm-hmm. it, like it protects you maybe. yeah that's a buffer mm-hmm. yeah but architecture is not like that you know like architecture just is there's not really a i need a dedicated space well, people, in order to see it. The public wants it. The public, well, I guess you could say there are architecture projects where they just, they're, they're back. They're away from the city. They're objects in a landscape, and they're supposed to be beautiful. Like skyscrapers are kind I mean, of like that I mean, that's kind nowadays. Of the, I mean, that's kind of the, the context of the buffer there. Yeah, there's the, there is a buffer. And yeah. Then, yeah. With, with architecture, it's like if, if you do something that's not typical, to the space yeah. that doesn't that doesn't quote unquote match the aesthetic context, then then you you become that art piece that people are a little bit yeah architects I think the one thing that architect like the one golden rule of architecture that 
like the world kind of abhors you if you do it is like if you actually want to challenge how people use space or mm. occupy space if you actually want to change society through architecture yeah and you want to do it in a very direct and clear and upfront way like people just won't know how to react you mm. have like levius woods um mm. i read his book or it was like his blog turned into a manifesto book. Yeah. yeah his whole thing was like okay during post-war reconstruction you like have these sort of strange spaces that are like from patching and stitching together broken buildings yeah and people would have to figure out new ways to occupy these spaces the scars scabs yeah. things like that yeah. yeah but like do people don't actually do that you know we no. like we have this model of of people well, as look a at Notre Dame. they're just going to rebuild it the way it was yeah I actually thought it'd be interesting if they did exactly that, but it was something that was like. But you uh, used the wrong materials. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's why I thought so it was perfect. So you have metal that looks like wood. Maybe, yeah. Like it's a fucked up kind of reversal. You give people what they want, but you like mess with it. I think that's really interesting. I, I mean, I feel like that's what architecture does. What art does, right? You take something known and you make it mysterious, or mm-hmm. you 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 basically. Well, it, some depth, some some reasonable depth, because it's like, well, the problem was the wood, right? Yeah. And so if if we if we make the wood better, yeah. if um I don't know, sort of engineer it a different way, yeah. than than what it was, and so that there's there's some degree of development or progress in terms of the the architectural technology in some way, mm-hmm. um, then. Uh, you're doing, you're being a little bit self-service, but you're also doing the public fanfare in the same way. Yeah. My idea for that it would be great if they built it. So maybe, maybe if this gets viral, <laughs> give me the idea. Mm-hmm. Copyright. We got okay. uh, it. How to be viral? That's, that's the question. But I feel like if you made it out of crystal, like one whole thing, the same thing, like just make it fall out of, mm-hmm. like a translucent. Solid piece of crystal. Do you know like Dan Graham? Yeah, he does these like pavilions that are all. It's even plastic, but it's mm. coated with something. That oh, makes is it that what Ray posted Instagram of? Yeah. Okay. But there's a way of like you see yourself reflected in it, and that's yeah. the point. Like you become the art, and your your self image is augmented through the reflection. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought of when you mentioned a crystal palace. Yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. Dan Graham's work. Yeah, he's around. He, like, he's the glass box guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's a, yeah. The craziest thing. Why crystal? What? Oh, sorry. You, I don't know why words. the crystal, but I feel like Parisians they need something that's not glass. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, what's the next best thing? Crystal. Thick glass. So I think in terms of public art um, that is successful in maybe modifying or tweaking people's occupation of space, I think mm-hmm. like Millennium Park is super successful. Yeah. You have Anish Kapoor's The Bean. Well, yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's crazy. just about like, it's a funhouse mirror, basically, but mm-hmm. it's it's um, it's so com- it's an architectural object, so you can't see all that it has to offer from one perspective, and I think that's what makes it architectural or sculpt beyond sculpture towards architecture is you have these different modes of reflection when you're mm-hmm. like inside the bean or on the side of the bean, as well as like, you can look at the rest of the world kind of mapped onto it, so mm-hmm. it's multi-dimensional, um, and you have to walk around it, and so you have people circulating. Yeah. The next thing I think, which is the most successful, are the face fountains. I couldn't tell you um, what that one's called, but like what, what happens is like people go there in the summer and like kids are running around in it, and it's like it's actually quite surreal to see it working. Yeah, but, like the water is like shooting out of these people's mouths onto a flat plane. Mm. I just want to know like where that idea came from. I guess it's people have enough to hold on to to feel comfortable engaging with it but then like there's this tiny little aspect that's a little bit twisted mm. um like water fountain shooting out of a glass mirror face wall yeah yeah um but there's enough where it's like oh this is just a fountain but there's something else going on yeah yeah i don't know i, I believe the idea came from uh, the fact that there's like they didn't want one person's face they wanted like a mixture so the idea was like a connection between there so like you get your face recorded across the street and then you could see it. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be like a rando or it could be someone famous. It, it would be fun mm-hmm. to have the faces instead of like just switching image to images and morphing from image to image. Now and like the, the lips are always in the same space. Yeah. So, so see, Christian has a good idea, but now he's, he's pushing it further. And when you push it too far in that direction, people are afraid of it now. Well, yeah. If you actually saw faces morphing, like <laughs> people might not want to go in the water because of like, am I going to mutate into a bug <laughs> or something? <laughs> Well, people love the like the 
the man face, like the filter for like Snapchat. Right. You know what I mean? And they that was accepted, which was True. interesting. You know. Yeah, it's like a magic mirror. Or like the puppy dog. Like yeah. you know, people aren't actually afraid of the puppy dog, but it's because it's, it's cute and dumb looking. It's cute, cuteness. I guess it's uh, <clears throat> you can't go, you can't go the other way. If you like actually found a way cute. to like take a real mirror and do the puppy dog filter, do you, like that would actually get kind of creepy, wouldn't it? Because like mm-hmm. Snapchat has built the expectation that like your image can be modified mm-hmm. in that little rectangle, but if right. You but a, you're the one doing that. You have the control over it instead right. of an outside entity. Yeah, there's like a really funny little video where like a girl, she's like she has her phone, it's mirroring her face, and like it's like mushing her face into like a weird shape, mm-hmm. and the mom's walking up behind her. And the mom is like kind of freaking out looking at the phone. And then the daughter like aims it at the mom and then it does it to the mom's face and the mom just screams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a really good moment. I find, I find, I don't know, like you can change your image. I, I, I always made me feel weird. You are not your image, but a lot of people equate that as the same, right? Same as architecture, same as art, same as thing, right? Like the thing itself and the image of that thing are completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a sort of like weird flattening I feel now right like I actually feel like I'm the old guy Mm because I believe that because it's not I don't think that's generally accepted thought the image is the thing Mm -hmm. now for most you know could you like elaborate on that here's a question did you make any models for your thesis yeah I did okay that's what kind of doing an odd transition there that may Uh, only make sense to very few people (laughs) I don't know where you're going with it. Um, I did make models. I could tell. They, like, my, I guess my question is, is like, so your thesis, um, if I, I'm not going to summarize it well, um, was was about these, to me, what seemed like these technological entities that architecture doesn't really touch mm. um, within space that is, is just kind of culture would describe as just bits and bobs that kind of find their way about and, yeah. and you emphasize that in a, in a particular way through, yeah. this, through this fictional sort of development and we've had another uh, episode where we talked uh, with a group of two uh, from MIT that did a thesis and it was very it was more traditional I think yeah. with with like how um, you, you approach the notion of architectural um, research. Now yours is mm. like this fictional world that mm. you've developed around um, uh, these elements within a space mm. uh, that we may not pay much attention to otherwise. Mm. Um, and so the image was, because you had these like before and after images, yeah. it's like this is space and this is space 2.0 right. with like these these elements emphasized, whether it's like conduit on a wall mm. or cathodes, which become like 10 times, 100 times right. their size as they would typically. Right. Um, and it almost has this mystery to it. Yeah. So I was wondering if, if that was realized physically. It was. Way. It was, but it was never accepted. Like I, I actually, a lot of the sort of start of my thesis was to misread theses and research, like you say it was a fiction, it was really a reality for me. You okay. know, like it's a real building, those things existed. Right. Represented them as real. Um, you were actually looking for alternative media to, mm, to add to the to to add show, to reality. Yeah. Evidence, fake evidence. And that was really the project. The sort of the outcome, the production of the project was the evidence, right? Like I made a fake history. Right. right. I, wrote, I wrote. I made fake drawings that Paul Kret made. Right. I mm-hmm. made uh, weird, like shitty, like cell phone photos of a design that's in the background. Not, you know. So the idea was to prove that it was real and talk as if it were real. So mm-hmm. we're already past the idea of design. It's already existing. Now we're just talking about the qualities of it. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the initial start and so when I made the model the idea was I was a student um, giving, <laughs> doing an analysis yeah, I was doing yeah I was doing like uh, like a history report mm-hmm. because I, I wanted to start my thesis I didn't know what to do it in so the idea was hey there's these historic buildings oh, on Penn's campus 
why don't I just research those? Mm-hmm. And so that was, so I gave a history report. Right. And, and was it by like a younger student or? Yeah, I was an undergrad. Okay. I was an undergrad art school student and like art history. And I wanted to not do, I was like really interested in Paul Cred and like the historic pen. In this case, um, the image story. was real. Yeah, the image and the buildings are real and all that, right? Like, and actually, so that's I where learned, like this compression between Snapchat and real people, yeah, and your notion of in this thesis. That's where I start to see this mixing happening. Yeah, it's. I think like uh, I like the idea. So you mentioned like image and reality. Yeah, and um, I think like. So there's something called photogrammetry, and it's where you take a thousand photos of an object and you can extract a 3D model. This is your, where you're that's, that's part of what I do, yeah. Um, but now there are situations where like museums are having to codify and say the light that bounces off this sculpture is owned by the foundation. Mm. Like it's not just the object; it's like the light that bounces off it. Mm. Or like so, th- when I think about what's happening physically, you have light, and then that object is modifying the direction of light right? Mm. As it bounces. And then I want to connect that with what you're doing with forgery, where mm. you're augmenting light as it bounces off the environment and becomes mm. in, like encased inside media, right? Mm. And if you are able to like shape light enough and redirect light enough, you mm. actually can create the impression yeah. um, of this alternative space or like you're sort of revealing this mm. latent space that mm. overlaps with ours. Mm. Um, and I was also like, there was a TV show called Fringe, where um, the idea was there. there's these two parallel versions of, of the Earth that develop in different ways, but they largely overlap. And you could see into the alternative universe by measuring like photon activity as they bounce off geometry right. on that side. Um, so I think like, I'm really interested in this idea of forgery because it, I think it's a way of thinking through design and design fiction like more and more deeply because mm. you're thinking about how people capture space and use it. Yeah, how they understand it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like I, I feel like the project was much more much more in tune with like science fiction and and uh, like movies, production right? Like design. yeah, like, like the actual production than traditional architecture. Like the architect as a production assistant or manager mm-hmm. rather than pure designer. So, which was, you know, fascinating, you so, know, I don't know. A question for me, um, is it, with, with your thesis was, was, I guess, why did you bracket it to, to the building scale? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm driving here from Lockport and I see all this sort of infrastructure bits, yeah. uh, strewn across the landscape and, <clears throat> I guess that's pretty easy to see in the Midwest as it's, as it's flat and you can sort of see this, this, uh, this network sprawling out. And mm-hmm. I started thinking about your perspective with this, which seemed to focus less on like ornament and objects and, mm-hmm. and more on the technical pieces that, that make a building function mm-hmm. um, and, and how that might be connected to uh, the landscape with like light poles and mm-hmm. um, these giant infrastructural towers and mm-hmm. Because it, it's a big focus on parts, mm-hmm. um, and I guess my question is: is like for you, was that parts always something that's relative to human scale, or hmm. no? I don't know if they're relative to a scale. I think for me was the believability of things. Like there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of questions in that. So yeah, 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 yeah. For me, though, the sort of technological need was to create something in which people would believe it. Because like Mark Foster Gage isn't very believable. No. Who's ornament. Right. But I feel like systems, like existing systems, right? Like cathode ray tubes. Something we don't understand. That's a greeble by definition, right? So uh, do you know what a greeble is? Um, I think you described it once. Yeah. The Millennium Falcon. Millennium Falcon starts as a simple geometric shape. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is they greeble the surface or also kitbash is another term for it. Right. So they're adding arbitrary formal complexity, right. which becomes a shorthand for technology itself, for the right. future of technology. Like, yeah. It's complex enough and I kind of recognize the parts and like, I don't really want to think about it or pull it apart, but yeah. I just, it just means it's technology. Yeah. I'm definitely not there. I, you know, if, if, if that was, if that's what people read, I feel that's a misreading. No, no, I think, I think yours is, 
I can see the vein that yeah. you're kind of working in. Well, there's good like, faith. There's, I mean, like the Millennium Falcon is just fanciful. Yeah. But there's also good faith. So like different, um, there's a video game recently called Prey mm. where they actually did design the t- systems inside of the spaceship that mm-hmm. are exposed on the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a really interesting article in Heterotopias that was comparing different modes of technological ornament. Yeah. And they're kind of making a spectrum from like Star Wars where it's just fanciful and whatever. Yeah. And then you could actually like look at how like the ISS space station works. Yeah. Replicate those systems or like what you were doing mm-hmm. where you're looking at, I guess, computers, computer yeah. systems mm-hmm. and saying what would happen if you were inside of that or if it was at building scale. Yeah. It was, kind of. For me, what you were showing was a lot more believable than something like Mark Foster Gage, which right. is more along the spectrum of Star Wars and Millennium Falcon, yeah. which really doesn't even fall as science fiction because yeah. there's no there's no believability to it. Right. Like I, I really was fascinated about the architecture of the background. You know, like right now we're in a space filled with things, but we don't question them. But they're equally fascinating. Right. Like I'm looking at this camera here. And there's, you're talking about ornament, but there's so many little things that probably don't need to make that camera function. But mm-hmm. Why is that acceptable and more believable in that scenario when me putting, you know, a duck head and uh, bashing them together and putting them in a building, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated with, like, the mundane ornaments mm-hmm. that people don't even think are ornament, right? Like, you can uh, call them, like, ambient ornament. Yeah. Yeah, like one of the like one of the more fascinating Not ones. Unconsidered ornament. <laughs> one of the, like the more fascinating parts of the project for me was was the one that no one notices. It's the it's like the pea drain. Like there was one where I I extrapolated kind of like a water pea drain system into a sort of chilled bean system, and so it became like a mixture of structure and how people flush toilets. Right to to not get smells, right? Because labs right, are right. filled with smells and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the idea was that it had a use, it had a function, but like the P drain, like the drain and the pipes actually had a really interesting quality. Like there's treads, there's brackets, there's like these like weird bolts that if you put in a certain way could read as ornament, but they also add to the function of the thing. Mm-hmm. So the idea was like you're not being really dishonest by how a thing works you're actually trying to enhance it right but you're taking those qualities and you're playing with them mm-hmm. you know like play for me is a really big word i think play with mundane things is a really healthy way for architecture to work to operate in right well it, 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 it one thing is it can give you more liberties or ability to work within the space because normally those are things that are strictly reserved for like your electrical contractor or your Mm. your plumbing contractor or whatever and it's it it may have an aesthetic to it that could that could be readable and for instance we're working on a project right now and they have to do all this back and forth for the draining because we're moving walls and Mm. the the labs have to work a particular way but the actual aesthetic of it can be really cool and we were talking about the types of joints that they use between um between the water pipes, the, yeah. the copper pipes. And there's like, well, we use this crimp joint because it's easier and quicker for us to do. But then there's sometimes issues with it where it will break. And um, for you as an architect to kind of take over some of that privilege yeah. of, of design, I think can be can be fun. And there was a project that I know Robert worked on where they were designing the conduit right. uh, for light fixtures, design. where it became mm. this, suspended. basically this cloud ceiling that was suspended. Mm. That, was, that was kind of fun. But for me, it's more of an aesthetic. Like, I'm really fascinated in the idea of, like, the profession. Like, I want to see us move forward, and I want to have more power and kind of – and I want to see us grow, right? I want to see architecture and design kind of grow, and I feel the idea of the hybridization of specialties, the same way we think about, like, in my work, the hybridization of objects, I feel is a way to kind of do that, right? It's not through – like sort of a weird quasi I'm I'm away from everyone. Right. It's more like I'm bringing everyone in mm-hmm. and, and exposing this, the things that actually make something work. The right. actual, I mean, which is, uh, you know, 90% of architecture is this coordination that 
yeah. between these elements that we're talking about, and it's not what you see. Mm-hmm. But 90% of it is aesthetic. mundane. It's like mundane stuff. Right, right like but it's can not, it be aesthetic? Yeah, but it could be a way forward. Even there, there's moments of design within very boring routine things. I mean, how much time do you put into a ceiling plan design? Yeah, tons. Yeah. Absolute tons. And it's filled with stuff that people don't even know why it's filled there, but it's there. And there's so much work that just goes into making sure you don't have tiles cut. Yeah. But right. can it can it be beautiful? But for me, it's like, how can you undercut that? How can you use that as a way of pointing to the work right. that goes into making that Right. So instead and special? So it's like, Maybe not all the time I notice it, but some people will stop and say, that's something. Right, right. right. So instead of having a cut tile, you, you, pull, your, you pull your grid back and, you, and, you, and you, you don't put the tile in. You just yeah. cut the end of the, the trim or whatever, mm. the track. Well, the tracks are something. Right. It's a system in itself that goes horizontal right. all the same time. So. I really like the – I hate the word, but I like what it means, the word liminal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a, a broad category of things that are like between full attention and not noticing liminal space or uncertainty mm. and determinability. Um, there's a guy that I'm reading right now uh, called uh, Malcolm McCullough. He's from mm. Michigan and he wrote this book called Ambient Commons. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about is media this, and mediification. Is this an architecture book? He's an architecture not? professor okay. and he's in the media division of the Taubman School of Architecture in Michigan. But he's okay. he's looking at things like smartphones and TV screens, um, mm. the presence of media, and he's looking at media from a kind of semiotic lens. Yeah. Um, we're talking about like explicification maybe of mm. the world where you don't know what the weather is by looking outside anymore. You have to like look at your phone. Mm. Um, and I guess he, he's not looking at it like phone bad, but maybe phone bad. I don't know if phone bad. To mm-hmm. him, but he's very curious about like these very subtle shifts in the environment mm-hmm. and how um, the world changes below the threshold of attention, mm-hmm. which I think like you're doing. But he's looking at media, and I guess you're looking at real physical architecture. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, this this might be kind of where we can go for what I'm doing now. But yeah, I suppose. I see, yeah. Like for what for your thesis for me, it's. What you're showing yeah. in the images seems sci-fi, right. but in no way is. Right. Like it's just, it's just, it's just often, it's just real stuff taken to like the slightly next level. It's it's weird in that how people responded to certain things. Like the realness was in it was more real when I showed it one way, and less real when I showed it the other way. But it's the same thing. Yeah. Which is odd. Like people believed the image right they saw it on the street i can see it it's there but they didn't believe the detail they didn't believe the sort of cutaway mm-hmm. and they also didn't believe maybe they did believe it no one noticed the model it was a clear cut model i don't show it really much i have it on my phone i show it to society. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a beautiful model i mean i think people admire the quality of craftsmanship of it but they don't actually notice what it is which is bizarre to me because it's it's a clear acrylic model that i laser etched the cad plans that i stole from a janet well, i didn't steal them but they gave them to me mm-hmm. like i'm the maintenance people because oh, once you said you're a thesis student they, they'll give you anything mm-hmm. right so they gave me the cad plans of the existing always spaces a student. yeah <laughs> and they gave it and i used those to understand the space but i laser etched those on acrylic and inner, inner, uh, put in my designs as like objects within a sort of clear um, space. So, so you're um, reading the duality, mm-hmm. both the real and the and alternative model. Yeah, but you're but you're basically making the real transparent, or you're making the the unrenovated transparent, right? Mm-hmm. Like the project was a renovation of an existing space much like the environment that I inherited was like that building started with one building, but was added over time. Right. And so it's actually a collection of parts of this in itself. Um, yeah. So how does this all transition to what you're doing now? I feel like right now 
I'm kind of in a weird place of where I'm trying to re evaluate things. Like what, what do people value and where am I in that? And do I want to be either an instigator of the current value systems of architecture or do I want to just accept it and maybe bring it into my work? Mm-hmm. I feel like, so right now I, I, I'm actually in a, a kind of a challenging moment I feel in my mind because on the one hand, I don't want to give in. I want to say, I want to say like I can change the status quo in an interesting way and through my work, maybe new readings of architecture or new practices of architecture can happen. But also, like, how valuable is that to people? Right. Who's when your you, audience? Yeah. Who's, who's receiving the, what you're doing? Right. We're talking like, what did you learn? I feel like I'm in that moment too, right? right. Like, your thesis is, I mean, surprisingly practical and way more yeah. disciplined than my would, mine would be. Because, <laughs> I mean, I want to kind of escape into media because, like, that's a place I can control. Mm. And I can kind of optimize for just the message or idea I'm trying to come across yeah. and explore through that. Yeah. You know, architects explore through media. Exactly. But I can see the challenge of being like, okay, but, like, what am I actually doing? Right. And is the world actually receptive to it? Which is, I think, one of the most difficult questions if you're trying to change it. Exactly. And I, you know, it's just the value system. I feel it's a word that we don't talk about enough, but the word value means a lot to a lot of people, right? Like there's, you talk about architecture and value, you think money. And that's certainly a huge driver of things, Mm -hmm. but what is real value in architecture? How do people evaluate something? You know, and, and, and is there a way of skirting the line to get what you want in the end? Like, can you use these different types of definitions in your advantage? Can you turn them in a way where you're not against either one, but you're using either one against itself to get what you want? Mm-hmm. Which which is a new reading of architecture. Right. Or a, an interesting reading of that architecture. Or a new evaluation of design, right? Like, right. What if you called yourself a value engineer? <laughs> and then like, you're just like breaking the concept of that. That would be really fascinating. Yeah. Like the idea that you could take something already, but completely change it because you're adding value to something. Right. But that process, like the translation is a really interesting one for design, right? Like we're talking about new media and stuff. All that is translation. Like, how do you translate something differently? Like, value engineers do that. Yeah. Uh, that could be an interesting way for architects to operate. Maybe that's an interesting one. I want to imagine, practice. like, a Tim Burton-esque character who's a, who's a value engineer. Mm. And they're, like, a free-floating consultant, like a free radical in the system. Yeah. And, like, the, the architecture firm, they want... Like their budget is pretty limited and they're trying to get certain features and they get the value engineer, but it's like a bargain with the devil because mm. the engineer will like get the features they want, but also like now there are At vines growing in the building and like they're actually like fundamentally breaking the like easy yeah. output. You know, he's getting them like the low budget, but yeah. also like the the details are doing like three things at once instead of one thing. They're like mm-hmm. very interconnected and the, the boundaries are blurred. Okay. This is a really good idea. But that's the fiction, right? Like you're using that. Well, it's not even a fiction. You're you're saying a thing to do three things rather than just one. Well, I mean, has a higher value. I right? mean, that makes sense to me. Like what you're describing really seems like is sort of this this devil in the architect's mind that they negotiate on a daily basis, mm. um, and that might be a really really good story to express. Honestly, I feel in, like in that way. Yeah. So if I can steal it, I do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or we could we could all sort of do it. Together. Boston bargainer. I don't. No, want, I, I don't want. I don't want it to be a double. Engineer. It's just like even like the per- the value engineer as a character is someone who's like super esoteric, mm-hmm. and they're going to make changes, but they're they're operating at a completely different level. Mm-hmm. Maybe not next level, but different level. And when they're allowed to operate in a project and mm. modify it, they're actually sort of pulling this different dimensionality into it. Mm. And the building is... Well, it's, it's this trans-dimensional character, right? right. That, that 
that takes from one and brings to the other yeah. and takes from that other one and brings yeah. brings to that other space. Maybe they so like, study so architecture, like, they study linguistics. Right. And like they, they're coming up with new terms and then they see the details in new ways. Mm. And to me, that's something that's that's like incredibly fascinating is like the value isn't necessarily an addition of something. It's not extra material. It's not, but it's, it's, it's the, it's the novel aesthetic. It's, it's the new way of seeing something. And so if you can set up a fictional world where everything is completely different aesthetic, um, and then translate between the two, they, you know, both entities operate yeah. uh, at a better progress, progressive rate. Um, and then you can you can sort of set up the dialogue between the two dimensions. Yeah. What I love is how this trans-dimensional mover. Yeah. I love how we just went on a tangent about value and we didn't mention numbers, right? Like before, yeah. it would have been a quantifiable value, like perform like this like the performance stuff that's going on right now. Oh well, this building is. 80% more efficient based on these sort of parameters. But mm-hmm. how real is that? No, right? it is. And it, I, so I feel like the more we get away from that simple way of understanding things through just quantifying things, but through other... Well, it's just visual. Well, it's and feeling. Some, and sometimes. Yeah, yeah, well, it's visual. It's visual. I mean, numbers like quantification is greebling again. It's, it's a mm. r- rhetoric in a way. Right. Um, and it's like, if I shoot enough numbers into your eyes, like you have to believe me because mm. look at all these numbers. Numbers don't lie. They don't lie. Seeing is believing. And I've got all the numbers. Seeing is believing. <laughs> it is believing, right? That's the image you get. Mm-hmm. Seeing is believing. Mm. So what if you like, I don't know. I like the idea of like another way to fuck with preconceived notions of value engineering is like, you actually have really good quantification, but it's for like things no one even realized you could quantify. Mm. And this would be more of an art practice, but it's like maybe that's 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 the method by which this this value engineer works. He's like, I can I can quantify you this to be to be better, but then he just goes and takes something from this other dimension and puts it into ours and be right. like, here, mm. yeah, <laughs> here it's like, now better. Um, the number of people who look, let me do who look left versus right in this room is exactly 50-50, and it will never deviate. And that's like, <laughs> yeah, I was able to like control exactly the, the outcome for this situation through design. <laughs> <laughs> like the, you buy a coffee shop, or and, and you even prove that they'll buy a mocha or a americano, right? And that's like just by space. Magic. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Huh. People will and, drop pennies in this space. Well, they always will. So, if so you that's have a like, penny, it's going to fall. That's like the David hmm. Lynch dream world, right? And so he sets up in, in the return, he sets up this beautiful machine that transports a human soul ball or orb or whatever mm. uh, back into reality, I guess. Yeah. So if, if you can say, by doing this action, by moving this object from one place to another, yeah. I'm able to... Uh, say that you'll have 50% more foot traffic uh, to your store because because of X, because of this thing. Yeah. There's a... Did I ever tell you about Kentucky Route Zero? No. It's a very, very <laughs> good video game um, by some graduates of SAIC. Okay. Um, and it's kind of merging a lot of it's modern... Milk. What is... Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah, it's like milk or something. That's like their name. Milk. Chalk. Oh, Cardboard Computer. Is oh, Cardboard Computer. For, yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. So it's... <laughs> Basically, they're taking like the concerns <laughs> of the 20th and 21st century, like Depression era and post-recession era, and fusing them in with like avant-garde theater and sure. magical realist plays and Southern Gothic stuff. But uh-huh. there's a really cool kind of character in there that's that's like a company. Hmm. And so like there's something called the Consolidated Power Company, and they're like acquiring everything. But they end up like what they're doing is slightly twisted in magic. So if they foreclose your house, mm-hmm. then they're going to let you live in it, but you have to be, you have to move your house to a museum so that people can observe how you live. Mm. And so you visit the museum of dwellings um, and you're seeing these people just living out their lives behind like, you know, placards and stuff. But the thing I also find interesting is when they're foreclosing like commercial properties, it goes into like 
I think it goes to the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces. Mm. And so it, in part of the game, you visit this Scottish brutalist church underground mm-hmm. that has been turned into an architecture office. Mm. And all they do is like you're playing a game and you're like you're reassigning pre-existing pieces of architecture to new purposes. So like you'll get a dog kennel and it's like this can be a bread company. It can be um, a community gym. It can be mm-hmm. like and then you're just like basically randomly reassigning spaces into different spaces. Mm. Um, and then like on the first floor, like there are a bunch of crab hermit crabs, I guess. Mm. And their shells are like household objects. And there's like this idea <laughs> of like kind of systems of power forcing these like jumbling of meanings, mm. especially like in, in places where like you're getting foreclosed properties. And I love this idea that like, there's just like a random office somewhere and it's like turning things into other things without mm. any sort of like concern for what that means. Mm-hmm. And then the people above in the real world just sort of have to deal with it. Mm. And because the power company's so powerful, mm. like they just don't have a choice. Right. I plan on buying it. I, I, I log, I remote it into my desktop from work one day. Mm-hmm. It's just Chris and I talking. Um, <laughs> check to see if I still had steam on my computer and apparently I didn't. So I need to install steam and then it install. The, um, the final act is going to be out this summer. It's a five act tragic play mm-hmm. um, that you just, it's just kind of a click through, right? It's a, it's like a point and click adventure game, mm-hmm. but it acts more like a stage play. So you're picking people's dialogue out of different choice trees. Mm. And oh gosh. You did ask me to read. Yeah. You have to read. Oh. But the cool thing is like <laughs> the actions are kind of set. Like the things are like the actors are blocked out. Right. It's going to go a different place, but you can actually shape the, you can shape people's histories. Mm-hmm. You can shape their current perspectives and what they think. Right. Like there's a free game called uh, limits and demonstrations where they, they took this new media artist who passed away from the seventies mm-hmm. and they created a virtual gallery of work they weren't able to produce. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're playing as three people walking around the gallery and you're actually choosing their different commentary and conversation about what they're seeing. Hmm. So you're like, I don't know, you're guiding these people as they're interpreting the art, hmm. which is like a new way to experience the art as interactive fiction. Hmm. So they're doing lots of really, sometimes like you'll be having a conversation and then halfway through the conversation, you'll like switch control of which person you're controlling. It's hmm. so like you used to like be probing this person for answers. It's and like the, the shot reverse shot. Exactly. I wonder, I mean, we're talking about fictions that we know are fiction. You go in knowing it, but this whole you, podcast is fiction. But what if you didn't know? <laughs> yeah, this is not even recording. Um, <laughs> is there a computer still on? Uh, I feel like it loses power, but it's also an interesting way of operating that you don't tell anyone that it's a fiction. Yeah, like you, you don't actually know. You don't really know what this thing is, and to you, fiction and reality are the same. Stuff, right. stuff. Yeah, right. Like we don't know that that camera is actually recording. Well, we, we, could, we, we could be know. acting out a play in front of that camera and right. then take that recording and propose that as CCTV, but the reality is it was actually just a play. Yeah, but there's so much right now that we're just assuming is works. real yeah. and works, right? Like, I feel safe because there's a fire alarm. Well, that could be that, that could be a light switch. That could have ice cream inside it. Yeah, no. there's nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, That's what you want. There's nothing telling me that. What's behind these walls is what I perceive them to be. Mm -hmm. And you can mess with that. So what, okay. So we were talking about like where your perspective is right now and we've kind of gone on this huge tangent, but what outlets do you have to kind of explore these ideas right now? Which ideas you mean? Like fiction? Well, everything that that you sort of been talking about, like as as you transition, as you've kind of transitioned away from school. Yeah. I mean, I feel there's a couple of ways I feel people that are in my position could operate in an interesting way. One is you're already in an existing firm, right? Right. That has existing projects and they're building, they're, they're building stuff. You could operate kind of like a character and like maybe every day you come in as a different character, but you don't tell anybody, mm-hmm. right? Like, so in your mind, you're operating within fictionalized character of yourself right. within a firm. Right. You had, you had the <laughs> Alex that got the job offer, but then There's guess, a different what, Alex. guess which Alex is coming in today. Yeah. It's, it's the one who wants a coffee machine in every room. And you, and but you don't deviate, right? Like you can't be wishy-washy about it. You have to be super strict to the character, mm-hmm. right? So like 
I, I understand that. I, I, I kind of enjoy doing that. Alex, where is, I work. Yeah, Christian's mentioned it. That that also gets this idea of Strasserian design. Yeah, where you're you have to hide your intent. Yeah, when you're trying to enact it. Mm. I'm trying to think if I've done that recently. Have you advocate, advocated for something totally frivolous in a project and just tried to hide it inside? Well, I, I need I need a second to think about it because I understand what you're saying, but yeah. I, need to, I need a second to think if I've done that recently. I think this is a project I'm actively building. I think like the yeah. next the next big term in this conversation is power, like value mm. and power. So if you have a lot of money, like that is the most fundamental way to shape society. Like you can just sure. pay for a building to be built in the way that you want. Sure. And you know, like a lot of the most famous, most influential architects of the past century have been independently wealthy besides mm. being an architect. So like mm. they didn't have to sneak their vision mm. into society. They just paid mm. someone to build it. Right. Um, or they were well connected enough to like get it built. Mm. So I think the idea of being a value engineer or of sneaking in mm. to an otherwise normal process, mm. your intent, like that's a that's a very interesting strategy for making a change. Mm. And, and a healthy sleeper one. agent. Yeah. I think. So I was thinking about. It. I think most everything I've done on the project that we're building right now has been in good faith, and that's because I haven't been through this process before of like being the only person doing CA on a project. Mm. Um, so I, I can't think of any particular instances in which I haven't had good faith on this project. But I need, I think, I think it's important to learn the process first in order to mess with it. Mm -hmm. You do need to understand that there's so many people that just don't like. They feel like they can change the system without actually knowing what the system is. And it, Economics. It, yeah, and it makes <laughs> it, it, like there's a lot of them that they really don't even know. Right. But I mean, I'm not talking. There's like other ways of understanding what I just said. Right. Right. Then, but. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I think that's one way that you could people operate. I operate currently, right. right? Like kind of against the system character play. I think that's an interesting one. Another one it could be like like art galleries, right? Like we're talking about how some of these ideas are accepted, like infiltrating sort of sculpture and traditional modes of how people see art could be an interesting way that architecture ideas and design ideas can like. Mm -hmm infiltrate especially with the idea of fiction right well i think like sci-fi movies are a pretty important place where like mm. if if you think about like the movie her from 2013 mm. like spike jones had production designers invent a vision of the future that mm. kind of ran against dominant notions of what it would be like mm. um, well so they, it wasn't all that dystopic right they wanted it soft and warm yeah where the just, kind of harsh technological overwhelming aesthetics would be behind a blanket of warm fuzzy design mm -hmm. so for instance they had these elevators traveling up skyscrapers mm -hmm. and instead of having uh, like a glass wall where you're seeing the innards or seeing the city aglow yeah it's just these abstract shapes like a little grapevine that's slowly shifting as you're moving up and down yeah which is like already kind of proposing an alternative way of designing space. And so I think like in media, like architects or designers are given a lot of power to enact at least a facsimile of what they're intending. Mm. And that I think shapes public opinion quite a bit mm -hmm. in sci-fi films, or at least yeah. like an important segment of the population. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to do the intro and then um, call it quits on this? Sure. Sure. Sounds good. We'll be back in your ears with an episode formal uh, Path of Futures Labs episode about future money. Future money, spend it wisely.